You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. So there's a few things going on here. Um, let's just recap where we've come from uh, in Luke. In Luke chapter 8, you might remember that Jesus encountered that demon-possessed man, Legion. All the demons are in there. Uh, Jesus demonstrated his authority. He cast them all out and onto the pigs. Uh, in Luke 9, interestingly, Jesus calls the 12 apostles only together. And he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom and to heal the sick in very similar way to what we've just read. And we know from Matthew that Jesus specifically instructs the 12, instructs the 12 disciples to only go to the lost sheep of Israel. He tells them expressly, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. So the, the task that they had to do, their mission, was an Israel-only mission. That's important for a bit later on. And not long after, Jesus asks his apostles, who do you say that I am? And Peter famously makes that declaration, you are Christ, you are the Son of God. And at that point, Jesus begins to tell them that he must uh, suffer and be killed. Of course, they don't get it. They don't understand what he's talking about. And last week we read that he set his face towards Jerusalem. So he began that, that road to the cross. Um, and he deliberately gets his disciples at this point, you might remember, that they did go into a Samaritan village. So suddenly there's a change here. So you see, Jesus is on a schedule. He's preparing his disciples to be able to carry on the mission of the kingdom of God once he's gone back to heaven. He previously declared to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And today's passage, a lot of it is about how Jesus goes about building his church. So we're going to look at, well, who? Who? What is the church? What is some of the message and the mission of the church that we see in this scripture here? And what, what is the heart of the one who is the head of the church? There's a lot of power and authority that we learn about in this passage as well. So we'll have a look at that. So let's have a look at who is the church. So um, we read there that there were 72 disciples here, 72 others. Some, some manuscripts say 70. Um, there's a, a bit of a dividing line as to who was 70 or 72. Uh, but the, the main point about it is that these guys were disciples. They're committed followers of Jesus. They've been along with him. They've heard his uh, uh, teachings. They've seen him do his stuff, they've listened and they've learned. They're witnesses, aren't they, of Jesus and his ministry. Importantly, these 70 or 72 do not include the 12 disciples because these guys are others. That's important. I want you to know that in the Bible, being inspired by God, nothing is written by accident or randomly. There's plenty of things, a lot of things that I've read in the Bible and I just go, like the disciples, I don't understand. I don't know what, what he's getting at there. But that doesn't mean that there actually isn't a reason. And uh, uh, in heaven, we'll probably know all of these things a lot better. 
but for now, it's okay to say, I don't understand. I don't know. But there are some things we can know. And Jesus likes to reveal things to us and open our eyes up. And in this case here, we've got an, an interesting description of the 12 apostles. We know who the 12 apostles are. And that number 12, particularly if you're a good Jew, you'd understand that 12, of course, is the 12 tribes of Israel. So the 12 disciples are kind of representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, who themselves came from the 12 sons of Israel. And their story is told in Genesis, how they became a nation when they went to Egypt, they grew and they were blessed by God. So in Scripture, when you see 12, it evokes these uh, memories of things that have gone before. So 12, kind of in this situation here, represents Israel, the chosen people of God. Interestingly, in, also in Genesis, in particularly in chapter 10, there's what's called the Table of the Nations, where at that time they listed all of the nations of the world that were there. And wouldn't you know it, the number 70 pops up there. There are 70 nations that are listed there. And so in Scripture, when 70 pops up, it often reminds us it's a symbol, if you like, of the nations of the world. So here we have 12, the chosen ones of Israel, and 70, the nations of the world. This is extremely relevant for you and I, because unlike Jean Carlo, not all of us can claim Jewish heritage. But we are disciples of Jesus from the nations of the world. I'm from Australia. My wife's from South Africa. Where are you from, Robinson? India. India. <laughs> Isn't it great, though? Here we are in a small town in England, and the nations are represented here. I would suggest to you that's not an accident. I think the heart of God beats for all the nations of the world. The church of God is the bringing together of the chosen people from Israel and the chosen people from all the nations of the world. That's us. So who are these 70? They're us. They're us. So I want to look at this passage a little bit more uh, as quickly as I can uh, and just make some observations about this 70 that relate to us today. Firstly, I want to bring your attention to, right at the start, it says the Lord appointed these 70, 72 others. They're appointed. That's significant. They're appointed by Jesus himself. What does this mean? It means we're not just thrown together by chance. You have been appointed. You have been selected. You have been chosen. How many of us in our walk with Christ have uh, been tested and we've had to learn things and be trained and you know, God's teaching us stuff? Who can identify with that, that you've had a little bit? And you're still here. <laughs> Obviously, there's a commitment that you have to pursue and to learn and to follow Jesus. And we learned last week that that's, so important. I also want to note here that 
Not all of us, of course, have a title, a ministry, an office. We read about the 12 apostles. There are only 12 of them. They hold that office that was designated to them by Christ. But in this passage also, we can see that we share in that ministry. Because even though they're not designated as apostles, capital A, office holders, they are nonetheless nonetheless sent. An apostle means sent one. And here in the Greek, in this passage here, these guys are apostelloed. They are sent. But the point here about this is that everybody has a vital role in the mission of the church. It's not just for the privileged. It's not just for the office bearers, the title, those with recognition, those that are part of an inner circle, or those that are the select few. All of us, you and I, we who are disciples and followers, we have a destiny. In the mission adventure of the kingdom of God. Because God could do it himself, couldn't he? He doesn't need us. But he chooses and likes to work with us. Because he is Emmanuel, isn't he? He's God with us. He likes to be with us. And he's in the business of changing us to be like himself. The truth is, is that without disciples like us, the church is not the church. So everyone has a place and a destiny. Thirdly, it says in here, Jesus prays that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and to send out laborers. So we disciples are to be laborers in the harvest. We are to be harvesters reaping new converts for Christ. But also, because he's praying us that we send out more harvesters as well. So we're involved in the reproducing and the training up of other harvesters. So there's an evangelistic arm, but there's also a discipling arm that's implicit here. Even in going out two by two, which is what happens, I, I get, get the picture in my mind of um, you know, a senior guy and a not-so-senior guy, perhaps working together, learning from each other, supporting each other, encouraging one another, because it can be tough by yourself. We're never meant to be by ourselves, are we? God's placed us in families and groups and churches. We need each other very, very much. So we are to be supporting, training and equipping new harvesters. We need to be engaged in both of these things, evangelism and discipleship. And even Jesus kind of reflects that. Before he said, go, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and Let me teach you. So who is the church? The church is us. Disciples from every nation. Ordinary people who've been appointed by Christ. We've been sent by him. Each a vital part of his body. Laboring in the harvest. Discipling, supporting and learning from each other. Now being sent ones, you and I have been sent on a mission should you choose to accept it. And it is a mission impossible without Christ. But he said he would never leave us and forsake us. 
So let's talk a bit more about the message and the mission as we see it presented in this passage. Firstly, uh, just to reiterate that point, that it's not without Jesus, when he um, sends them ahead, he sends them ahead of him, where he will go. He will go there. So the disciples here are preparing the way. We have that image of the plough, and it, uh, the plough is, 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 is ploughing up that hard soil, preparing the, the hearts so that the one who comes and sows the seed can be sown into that ground made ready to receive the seed of the gospel. But preparing the way for the Lord, that idea, preparing the way of the Lord, should remind us of someone. It echoes somebody who most people would have rejected as a bit weird, a bit of an outcast, had some strange dietary habits, dressed pretty funny. Uh, Who am I talking about? No, I'm talking about (laughs) John the Baptist, yes. John the Baptist. And it's interesting that the message of John the Baptist, there's echoes of John the Baptist throughout this passage. Uh, The message of John the Baptist, can you remember what he said? His main thrust of John's ministry is repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And here we have the disciples being sent to go through to the towns and villages and tell everybody that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they are to proclaim peace to these people as well. Now, the word peace, of course, in the Hebrew, shalom, shalom. It's a greeting, isn't it? Shalom, peace to you. But uh, in my little little Bible with uh, its wonderful notes it tells me a little bit about peace it says the expression of peace has a much richer connotation than the English word peace does since it conveyed not merely the absence of conflict and turmoil but also the notion of positive blessing especially in terms of a right relationship with God so in proclaiming peace and wanting peace to rest on these people it's wanting to to, uh, provide the invitation and the means and the way to have a right relationship with God it's the gospel isn't it it's the gospel they're proclaiming the gospel here the kingdom of heaven this is a game changer we are like town criers going out into the streets and proclaiming a whole new culture the culture of the kingdom in the name of our King, Lord Jesus. The kingdom of God changes everything. And we as disciples of Jesus, going out representing him into our society and our towns and villages, we're his witnesses, you remember, he said, you will be my witnesses. As witnesses, these guys, as we said, they've heard him preach, they've listened to his teaching. They know what, he's, what he says. They know what he represents. They understand the message. They've walked with him. They've listened to the parables. They've seen his power. You remember on the, uh, on the lake when suddenly the wind and the waves and he's, Jesus gets up and says, peace, be still. And the disciples go, who is this guy who can do that? Well, they think they're starting to, they know who this guy is. 
He is the Christ, the Son of God. And so like these guys, we also need to know the gospel. We need to know who is this Jesus? Who is this man that can still the the waters and the waves? Who is this man that proclaims peace? Who is this man who says such wise things that make sense to me, that proclaims a message of hope that I can change and be different to where I am? We need to know who he is. We need to know the message. We need to know the good news. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These guys also go into some villages and towns and they're shaking the dust off their feet. What's going on here? And they also say, look, we need you to know, we're going to shake the dust off our feet. It's not a new dance move that they've been working on. It's a warning, isn't it? And this is kind of like what happened with John the Baptist again. Part of John the Baptist's message was to warn them that, the, look, the axe is at the foot of the, foot of the tree. There is an impending stuff happening here, and this is serious stuff. So like the, John the Baptist, we also warn of judgment. We warn towns and villages who reject us and what we proclaim. And we do this because this is all part of representing fully who Jesus is. He's the justifier, but he's also the just. He is the one who justifies, but he's also the judge. He is the one who's full of mercy, but he's also one to be feared. So this is important to represent him well. And that's why when we do this, Jesus says in verse 16, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So the mission is presented here is to prepare the way for the Lord faithfully and authentically. Proclaiming and demonstrating the culture of the kingdom, which trumps all other cultures. Exhorting all to repent and obtain peace with God and warning them that they are under judgment if they reject his offer of peace. Because he has authority to do these things and he delegates that authority to us and power. See, true representatives carry the authority of the one they represent. That's why if a policeman comes, he's got that authority on his badge, hasn't he? That's why you need to pay attention to him. He carries one with authority. You remember the scripture where the Roman centurion, who's used to authority, he understands authority, he deals with authority, he's in the army. He says to someone, do this, and they know he's the boss, he's got authority, I better do it. He said, I understand how you operate, Jesus. I understand how it works. You're a person in authority. What's going on in this scripture here is Jesus is teaching these disciples a little bit about his authority and that he can delegate that authority and that they can trust him. He wants all of his disciples, then and now, to have confidence in him even when he cannot be seen. You remember these guys are being sent ahead of him. 
So he's not physically with them when, he get, when they go out to do this stuff. These disciples are being placed in situations and circumstances designed to show them that Jesus is absolutely more than able to be their strength and shield when it's far beyond their capabilities to do so. He wants them to know, not just in their head, but actually to have experienced it, that he is able to provide, that we can trust him for provision, for eating, for lodging, for the clothes that we wear. The labourer deserves his wages, it says. I remember uh, I was, um, when I first became a Christian, I was, uh, my family weren't Christians and I realised I had to catch up a lot. And I went and joined a, a mission agency called Youth with a Mission and I went into state, went up from Melbourne into Sydney, which is kind of like going from here to Scotland. And I went there to, really to learn, because I knew nothing. <laughs> and um, uh, I, we went there and it was all, it was all operated by faith. So um, uh, what I mean by that is, is that people weren't paid wages or anything like that. Um, you were placed in a situation where you were very dependent on God for basic stuff because we still had to eat and drink and do stuff, you know, and we were expected to pay rent and all that sort of stuff as we were going. And uh, I, uh, I didn't have too too many clothes and things, um, but um, I remember one day I was I was there. We were in a shared sort of dormitory thing, and uh, I had some clothes, and I thought, oh, what I really need. I need some coat hangers. I need to get some coat hangers. And uh, it was just a passing thought, you know. And then it was like two days afterwards, I got this package from a friend of mine in, in uh, Melbourne who had sent me this. And I opened up, it's coat hangers. Yeah. Who does that? <laughs> That's really weird. And I, um, I, 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 I contacted him. I said, what, why did you think? Well, I just thought it would be a good thing. I thought you could... Very clearly, I, I just saw this was a, a... I mean, it was a small little private thing, do you know? But God's like that. He's telling me that even the little things he understands. And even though that's such a small little story, here I am what, 10, 20 years afterwards, telling you guys this little story. And it tells me that God is able to provide and that he cares. He wants the disciples to know, not just in their head, but even to have some experience, that he has authority over the devil, over disease. He tells them to go and heal. Over the evil plots of men, and against mortal enemies and dangers. Behold, he says, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Ultimately, Jesus wants his disciples to be able to join with Peter and confess and know, not just in their head, but to know in their heart and in their soul that this man, who is he? Who is this man? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's worthy of all praise. Only God himself has authority and power of this magnitude to do things like this. To control the wind and the waves. To make the 
The devils submit to everything to tell them to shut up and they do. To tell them to go into the pigs and they do and they run off and they get killed. A picture there of their long-term future in the lake of fire. But he does not want us to become enamoured with this whole power and authority thing that we've got. Because he wants his disciples to know him personally, not just in your head, not just because you can do this stuff. He wants us to know his will because they know his heart. They have a meaningful relationship with him. And there's that sometimes scary scripture in Matthew 7, verses 21-23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. Do many mighty works in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So the church's power and authority has its source in the triune God. But it flows from our faith and relationship with him. Which is all grace built and sustained. He himself makes it possible. Praise God, eh? (laughs) Talk about Mission Impossible without him. So grateful to God for that. So, he's the head of the church. Let's look at the heart of our head. Importantly, Jesus wants all of his disciples to trust in his character to know that he is the good shepherd. On the surface here, I remember reading this first time and thinking, I don't see how that's encouraging. Uh, Being sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves doesn't seem to be good shepherding practice. Uh, It's funny how we're always characterised as lambs and sheep. um, Coming from Australia, I see lots of sheep, Uh, And I did go with a friend uh, to their sheep farm in the middle of their shearing season. And um, actually it was a group of us from from Youth with a Mission after we finished our course, we went together. And uh, one of the guys that went with us, he was, I kind of looked up to him, but he was a, he he was a man of few words, but he was very wise and he was so gentle and kind a guy. And he just carried something with him, you know, and, and, and which was appealing to me. And uh, he came from the country and he knew how to shear sheep, so he volunteered. So I couldn't shear a sheep. We went, we went there and here he is shearing the sheep and I'm watching him. And he's shearing the sheep while he's doing his stuff. And, I, he's, and then he suddenly, he whacked the sheep with a, with a you know, cross hook. He, <laughs> he, he, and I couldn't believe it. And I went up to him later and I said, I saw you... You really struck that sheep. Was it something an issue? He said, they're just so stupid. <laughs> we do silly things. <laughs> sheep need shepherding because they don't by nature sometimes do their own do the right thing. And Jesus leaves the ninety-nine to get go after the one who's lost his way. 
So why is this okay for Jesus to lead the lambs in the midst of wolves? Because he wants us to learn and know that he is the good shepherd. We're learning about his heart and commitment as the good shepherd, which is convincingly told us in John 10, where he says, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd, he doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolves coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So in hostile situations, we as disciples can, as it says in 1 Peter, we can cast all our anxieties of him because he cares for us. He's not playing games with us. He wants, he's doing it for our good so that we may know him truly. I mean, when do we learn the things mostly? When things are great or when things are hard? When we're tested? Yeah. How could you know if he was the good shepherd and able to protect you if you weren't put in a place of danger and saw his provision, saw his deliverance? So Jesus invites all his disciples to know him well so that we are not just good servants, but also his friends. John 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Christ is the head of the church. He is the Lord of all, and he has been given all power and authority in heaven and earth. I mean, if you need an encouragement before you get set out, it's good that the one that you're actually obeying says, Oh, I've been given all power and authority on earth, therefore go. He is the good shepherd who seeks out the lost sheep. His disciples, his friends, us, share his heart for the lost. We share the joy of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We celebrate with them, with each name that is added to the book of life. Let me just quickly conclude here. Jesus is building his church in us and through us. He invites us to become his friends. He gives us opportunity. Knowing his heart and the will of the Father so that we can be about the family business. The kingdom of God. Our time is short. I know, I just turned 50. But our watch is now. This is our generation and our time. Things are in motion, as we've heard. There are challenges that are going on. There are competing views of the world and who we are. We need to know who we are. We have a window of opportunity. He wants us to grow in confidence and faith in him. He wants to renew our minds and our hearts. So let us sit at Jesus' feet.
Let us read and study his word, listening to the stories and the teachings, understanding his heart, understanding how he sees us and our place and our mission. Let us represent Jesus well. Let us pray and seek to develop our relationship with Jesus so we can say, I know him, even as I'm fully known. Let us be encouraged that the same one who said, follow me, also said, I'm right behind you. Let us give praise that we all who once were lost and found by the good shepherd, who ensured our names were not just penciled in, but were engraved and written in heaven. May all the glory go to Jesus, who is the founder, the builder, the head, and the heart of his church. And may we all be excited to take our place in this great adventure of our lifetime in this day and age. Let's pray.